Serious video, or funny video, serious topic we're going to dive into this morning. And it's a topic I feel like is incredibly important, and one we need to talk about, one that can stir up a lot of emotions, that can kind of cause some stuff, stuff to surface inside of a church that's been sitting underneath as we dig into marriage and what it looks like, and what it means to live happily ever after. And if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that the fairy tale isn't really the way it works out, right? We don't just have this beautiful day and then trot off into wedded bliss and happiness for the rest of our lives. But as we walk through this series, three of my biggest fears as we walk through it are that one, you'll come each week hear me talk about stories from Corey and I's marriage and be like, wow, they've got it all together. We don't. Let me just try to put that fear to rest. We don't. We've been at this for 22 years. Some of those 22 years have been amazing. Some of those 22 years, if you'd ask either one of us, we'd like to forget them. We're still fighting it. We're still working at it. And so please don't hear me as I share stories say, we, get, we do this perfectly. Uh-uh. Not even close. If you think I do it perfectly, just talk to Corey. She will tell you I absolutely don't. My other fear is that you might come here and be like, oh, great. If I just listen to this four weeks, it's going to fix my marriage. Jason is going to deliver in four weeks everything I need to fix my marriage. See, point one, if I can't fix my own perfectly, I'm not going to fix yours, right? So let's give each other a little grace. Let's understand we've all got opportunity to grow, and we're not going to walk out of this with every answer you need. And maybe my worst fear as we walk through this is that you're sitting here this morning and your marriage is struggling or maybe it's already failed and you feel like, well, great, this isn't the place for me. It's okay to be here today, to be in a struggling marriage, to have experienced divorce, I'm so glad you're here. Maybe more than anybody else, I'm so glad you're here. Because I think there's hope. And the truth is, we want to be a church where it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. We've all got stuff in our lives We've all got junk we're dealing with. That's why our mission statement is to help you take your next step towards Jesus because we believe everybody's got to step. Everybody's got to grow. So it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. We have to grow and we have to work through that. And maybe the most powerful witness we can have in our community as we talk about marriage over the next four weeks, is that instead of fighting with each other, we have the opportunity to fight for each other. So as we begin here today, whether your marriage is on the rocks, whether you think your marriage is perfect and could not possibly get any better, your marriage is already ended. 
You're terrified to get married, get married because you've seen everything that's happening around you, or you can't wait for that day when your fairy tale wedding happens. I'm glad you're in the room. And I hope that as we learn to fight for each other, to lean in to God, what God's word has for us, that we become a safe place to talk about real things. So would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for the gift of marriage. A gift that you gave us. A gift that you gave us to experience a different way of your love. And God, I ask and pray that as we talk about marriage, that you'd give us courage to look inside of our own lives see what you're saying to each and every one of us. God, help us resist the temptation to elbow our spouse in the middle of this and be like, are you listening? And God, may we open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. God, may your words flow out as I speak today. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Do you remember back to when you first started dating or you first met your significant other? Well, that's a fiance, a husband, a wife, whoever. You remember when you met and how you couldn't stop talking to each other? So when Corey and I met, that was, right, we've been married 22 years, we've been together for 26 years, so that was way back in college we met, and Corey had a 10 p.m. curfew in college, 10 p.m. I was not thrilled about that curfew, because there were a lot of times we would be talking, or there were other times we were talking, and we didn't want that conversation to end, Right? Corey's dad had a lot of wisdom with a 10 p.m. curfew, I'm just saying. But those conversations that just keep going, right? And this was pre-cell phone, we're old. I know, we're old, you guys can't even imagine. Well, uh, Corey's mom had a cell phone, but I think it had like so many minutes and each minute cost an ex exuberant amount of money. So she couldn't talk on the way home, but as soon as she'd get there, she'd call me. And we'd talk on the phone for hours. And then I worked at camp for two summers and in those two summers, again, no cell phones, so we had two lines into camp. It's two phone lines, was all it was. One of them had to be open 100% of the time in case a parent needed access to their kids. So we could have two six-minute phone calls per week per staff member. So my parents are divorced. That means I called my mom and then Corey, and then the next week I called my dad and then Corey, right? So six minutes, that's it. And then I figured out, wait, I can buy a phone card. I'll give my buddy a list of things I need him to get when we go to Walmart. So I'll give him the money. I'd say, you can keep the change. You go get my stuff. I'm going to sit up here and talk to Corey on the, on the pay phone, the pay phone all the time. We're using this calling card, right? So that's the way we stayed in communication. We wrote letters. I don't know that Corey's received a letter since camp was over, right? But we have a shoebox full of letters that we wrote back and forth to each other. Communication mattered. Now, 26 years later, there are a lot of days from like 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Our entire communication is, who's picking up this kid? 
Where are we going tonight? What activity do we have? What are we having for dinner? Who's cooking it? And there's no like, I love you. Or maybe there's like a, I love you real quick that's just added onto the end of the text because you're like, I gotta go. How do we go from communicating nonstop to just communicating the details of life? To communicating the things that have to do We live in a culture where 40 to 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Audience participation, hopefully you're not asleep yet. How long does the average marriage in America last? Guesses? Six, I heard an answer over here, seven years. Somewhere between seven and eight years. So I'll let you figure out how you're doing based on the average. This breaks my heart. It tears families apart. Now, please hear me say, and I'm going to pause here a couple times because we live in a a world where lots of stuff happens. There are some of you who were in really bad, abusive relationships that had to end, that needed to end. And again, I'm thankful you're here. I don't think that's what God had planned. But we still have a responsibility to talk about what God designed in this. So please don't hear judgment in what we say as we walk through this topic. But why do reasons end? According to psychology today, it's really hard to pinpoint. But here are the top 10 reasons in no order that they give. Lack of compatibility. Irreconcilable differences, money, lack of communication, constant conflict, infidelity, lack of intimacy, getting married too young, abuse, and addiction. Now understand, I am no counselor. I'd probably make a really poor counselor. I have lots of advice to give, but I'm not great at listening. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you read that list, I think you could boil seven, to eight, seven or eight of those issues down to communication. We don't know how to talk to each other. Dr. Amy Bellows says this, communication is the mortar that holds a relationship together. If it breaks down, the relationship will crumble. When spouses no longer communicate, a marriage nurtures no one and it's no longer a marriage. Seems clear to me based on research and on my own lived experience that we have to figure out how to communicate in healthy ways. And healthy communication requires we know how to change speeds. Healthy communication requires that we know how to change speeds. Now let me unpack what I mean by that statement. If you've got your Bible or your phone, go ahead, pull it out. Open up to James chapter 1 verse 19. Some of you may have this verse memorized. Someone told me earlier today they want to tattoo it on their body. I'm like, it's not a bad verse to tattoo on. James 1.19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Healthy communication means we need to know how to change speeds. We have to be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry 
Now, just to be clear, there's no passage in the Bible, you can go home and search it if you find one, please call me because I couldn't find one all week, that you walk, you open up your Bible and go, all right, I need a verse on communication marriage. It's not really there, right? So we're taking some broad stroke verses about communication and applying them specifically to our marriages today. So if you're like, I'm not married, okay, great. Use this about any other relationship you're in or start thinking about what it'll be like when you're married. But James says, the speed at which we do things matters and the first speed we need to understand is we need to be quick to listen. All right, let me give you a little test. You come home from a long day at work, or maybe you're the spouse who's been home all day by yourself with the kids, cleaning the house, doing whatever you're doing. Is your first thing you say a verbal explosion of how your day went, or is it a, hey, how was your day? All right, and if you want the advanced test, The advanced test is when you ask, hey, how was your day? Did we actually listen? Or did you ask, hey, how was your day? And as your significant other begins to tell you, you start to scroll social media on your phone. Or I'm gonna be, this is gonna be transparent behind the scenes, uh, at least as much as appropriate for this series. Uh, Maybe you're like me and it's Thursday and you came home and you say, hey, how was your day today? And as my wife starts telling me how her day was, I'm like, oh, I haven't set my fantasy football lineup yet. I need to do that. (laughs) And so here I am scrolling and she's like, "Uh, I'm up here. I'm like, oh, sorry. Listening to how our spouse's day went is one part of effective communication. And it might be the best first step a lot of us can make. But how well do we listen when our spouse offers constructive feedback? Or when they do the best they can to let us, to show us something in our lives that maybe needs to change? How good are we at listening in those moments? Listening so that we can grow. Listening and allowing their words to challenge us. The author of Proverbs in Proverbs 15, 31 and 32 says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. How many of us in our quick to listen are really quick to formulate a response while the other person's still talking? Quick to create my defense so that as soon as they're done, I'm ready to defend my actions. I don't know about the people you married or the people you hang out with or spend your time with, but my wife is incredibly wise. She senses things in my life that are out of step before I do sometimes. It would be incredibly unwise of me not to pause and listen. I think it's true of all of us. People who know us best often see the stuff in our life that needs to be addressed before we do. How well 
are we doing at listening? But the other side of that coin is the second thing we need to learn the right speed on. We need to be slow to speak. And these are not contingent clauses. It's not like James says, hey, be slow to listen when the person speaking to you does it well. Or, or be quick to listen when the person speaking to you speaks slowly. No, it's be quick to listen, be slow to speak. But... I think we can all work on our speed of our speech. Because it's a lot easier to listen when we believe the person speaking is not attacking us, but loving us. When we're slow to speak, the person who's been speaking has the opportunity to feel heard. Maybe if you're like me, when you're slow to speak, you avoid saying the wrong thing and chewing on your foot for the rest of the night because my shoe doesn't feel real good, but I seem to put it in my mouth a lot. When we're slow to speak, we're less likely to hurt the ones we love. When we're slow to speak, maybe our language can inspire those we're in a relationship with instead of tear them down. All right, honest question. Nobody would be honest first service. We had one other person besides me raise their hand. So let's see if you guys will actually be honest. Who's the fixer in your relationship? Who's the one who's got odds? Okay, we got a couple honest hands there. I can appreciate that. A few in each section, right? So, so if you're the fixer, you're the one who, when the person comes and tells you about their day, you have at least one solution to their problem, right? If you're me... You should pray for my wife often. I've got five or six solutions to her problem. I, I'm like the movie, okay, if we're not fixers, how many of us are Disney fans? Anybody seen Wreck-It Ralph? Right, Wreck-It Ralph is a video game. It's a little bit like Donkey Kong. He like, tear, uh, Ralph is a character. He tears everything down. But in the movie, there's Fix-It Felix. And then Felix has a hammer. And Felix, whatever Ralph breaks, Felix can fix with a hammer. This is my solution to all of my wife's problems. <laughs> I have a hammer. We can hit that problem with this hammer. It's going to be great. You don't have to hit it from the top. We can hit it from the side. But my hammer is going to fix everything. Right? Fix it, Felix. Corey does not want me to fix her problems. Eventually, yes. When she first brings them to me, she doesn't want me to fix her problems. And my guess is, if you're the fixer in your relationship, when your partner or your spouse brings you their problems, they don't actually want you to fix it either. And maybe if they could like catch their breath or get you to take your breath or me to take my breath for a minute, they'd say something like this. I don't need you to fix this. I need you to feel this. I need you to feel what it's like to be in my shoes right now. I need you to understand my perspective. I'm not you. I need you to feel where I'm at. You see, when we're not slow to speak, sometimes we create more problems than we need. And our speech isn't actually very helpful in that minute. Paul offers this advice for us when we think about being slow to speak. 
Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think we do an extreme disservice to this verse. We make this verse about four-letter words. We use Ephesians 4.29 to say, don't swear, right? And that's all it is, just don't swear. It's not actually what Paul's talking about at all. The meaning behind that word unwholesome is like rotting or foul. So maybe you guys are better house cleaners and housekeepers than we are, but do you ever get that like, maybe you bought a half gallon of milk once and it gets trapped behind something and you don't see it? Or there's that package of chicken that gets left in the refrigerator and you're like, oh, it hasn't been in there that long. I'm sure we can cook it. And you cut the plastic open and that like putrid smell comes out at you. Or you throw the chicken carcass away that you've had and you put some pieces of it in the trash and you open up the trash can and you're like, where did that come from? Like a middle school locker room all over again. When we don't speak kindly to our spouses. It's like rotting meat to their soul. Our words are rotting their insides. The author of Proverbs again says, but kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Are the words you speak to the person you care the most about like rotting meat or like honey? You see, because we can use words quickly to degrade, to demean, to tear down, and never once swear. So we'd be like, look, no unwholesome words came out of my mouth. I just told you the truth. The end of that verse, I think, is very interesting. That they may benefit those who listen. When you're talking about stuff with your spouse, are your words for their benefit? To lift them up? To encourage them? Are my words to Corey to support her? Or do the words we speak make us look smart? See, told you I had an answer. Fixed it. Are we speaking words that are beneficial to the person we're with? Healthy communication requires we know how to change speeds. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. You know, when we aren't communicating well, it becomes a lot easier to get angry, right? But again, these aren't dependent clauses. So even when communication isn't going well, we still need to be slow to become angry. Marriage therapist and psychologist Dr. John Gottman has over 50 years of research and experience helping married couples. And he's developed the four horsemen of the apocalypse 
that he can use to predict 90% success rate whether your marriage will make it or not. We listen to the weatherman every day, multiple times a day. He's nowhere close to 90% right. This guy's research is 90% accurate on our marriages. He says these four things, if they're present and they're persistent, will destroy your marriage. The first one is criticism. Criticism is this, it's about character. It uses never and always statements. It's different than a complaint. A complaint is, you said you'd be home at five o'clock. It's 6.30, what happened? Right? That's a very nicely stated complaint. But it's a one-time issue. A criticism is, you said you'd be home at five. You're never true to your word. You're never on time. How can you keep doing this? I feel useless. See the difference? He says, if we're going to overcome criticism, we have to begin to use I statements. I feel like I don't matter to you. When you say you'll be home at five and you're not. See how that changes the conversation? It's much more about what I'm experiencing than what you're experiencing. The second one is contempt. He says this is the number one predictor of a failed marriage. It's intent to assault or psychologically abuse our spouse to attack their sense of self-worth, to make them feel worthless, to tear them down, to belittle them. It says the antidote is appreciation. If this is, your, if this is your bent, if contempt is your thing, I want to challenge you with this. Before you utter that word, make a mental note. What are five things you're grateful for about your spouse? You can say them before you offer your complaint or just say them in your mind and see how that changes your complaint. Number three is defensiveness. Makes excuses and does not take responsibility. All right, let me be honest. This is another behind the curtain thing. The office is closed on Fridays. My kids go to school on Friday. My wife goes to work on Friday. I'm home alone. It is really tempting to go to the gym, come home, and just zone out in front of the TV, take a nap, spend my whole day on, the phone, on my phone, scrolling social media, playing stupid games, not doing anything useful, and to waste a whole day. Corey could come home and say, hey, what'd you do today? Nothing. You didn't do anything all day? And I could be like, hey, Monday, Sunday through Thursday, I'm a big deal. I don't know if you know, but I'm important. So back off. I need my Friday to rest, right? That's defensive. Trust me, I've never actually said that. I don't ever, I am not a big deal. This place would probably be better. But anyway, so that's where we're at, right? Like, I'm not that guy, but that's defensiveness. Instead of being defensive in the way we respond... We need to take responsibility. We need to say, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know I told you I'd get the laundry done today, but I didn't. I'll get it done tomorrow. I'll start it right now. 
And lastly, stonewalling. Guys, I promise I will not make stereotypical statements that broad stroke genders in this series, but research says 85% of us stonewall. That's when we like completely disconnect from the conversation. Maybe you know this. You just shut down, you check out, and you like pick a spot on the wall and you're just going to stare at it. And you are emotionless. You don't care what's happening around you. You have totally blocked this thing out. You've disengaged from the conversation completely. I don't think guys are the only ones, but 85% of it is guys. Maybe we've done it because we say, well, you know, if I responded, it would have been worse because we're about to get to, we're in this whole slow to anger thing, Jason. So I stonewalled so I didn't like lose my mind, right? Not acceptable. That's defensiveness. Just wanted you to go back to that, right? But you might say, hey, you know what? I need 15 minutes or I need 20 minutes. For me, that's 15 or 20 minutes of physical activity. I'm gonna go for a walk. I hate to run, but if I'm really angry, I will run. Also, if I'm really angry or really frustrated, my house will be very clean. I'll just clean 15, 20 minutes, I'll just clean. Or I'll go downstairs and I'll punch something, right? Like a heavy bag, not something destructive, something constructive. And then we come back to that. When we're not slow to anger, we allow these four responses to destroy our marriages and the people we love. However, we can slow our reactions, slow our words, and speed up our ability to listen. We can understand what an incredible tool communication can be in our marriage. And I want to add one more speed. Not to scripture, not because I think James didn't do it well, but I want to put Paul next to James. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We need to be quick to forgive, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to forgive. Did you catch that last phrase? Because God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Church, we can't do this on our own. On our own, none of us are going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, or quick to forgive but when we realize everything that we've been forgiven of, that Jesus came and forgave us when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't earn it, maybe when we didn't even want it, God sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for my mistakes and your mistakes. And we've been forgiven immensely more than we deserve then and only then are we able to forgive those who have hurt us. Now again, I want to say, there is a few of you in an audience this big who I am sure have been in abusive relationships or relationships where forgiveness and going back into that relationship is not the right answer. The church, I think, has done far too much harm to marriages by telling people to go back to their abuser. Sometimes forgiveness is, I forgive you, and I'm stepping way away from you. And there are some of us here who probably need to do that. But for those of us who are just annoyed that our spouse said they'd be home at 5 and it was 6.30, 
we need to learn to forgive. Not just say we forgive, and then the next time they're 15 minutes late, be like, you're always late. I knew you'd do it again. You've done it 25 times this month. Why did I think today would be different? That's not forgiveness. John says in 1 John 3, 18, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Do our words that we communicate match the actions we show to our husbands and wives? Healthy communication requires we know how to change speeds. Throughout the years, Corey and I have had to learn this. And I'm stubborn, so I don't learn things the easy way. For the first probably seven to ten years, we didn't communicate well. Not even close. We lived John Gottman's forwards. We knew how to push each other's buttons. We knew how to not fight fair. We knew how to blow up and scream at each other. I knew how to stonewall, and I knew that if I was really going to get at Corey, the thing I was going to do was walk out. So I'd take my keys and go get in the car. She had no clue how long I was going to be gone. If we're honest, some of those times she probably wondered if I was ever coming back. And maybe she debated locking the door and hoping I wouldn't. Communication is hard. Through some counseling, some good friends, someone said, I think you should start fighting in public. I thought, that sounds like a horrible idea. I'm not going to fight. Are you kidding? Did, Did you just hear everything we just said to you? Well, we decided to try it. Again, we're old, so we went to Borders, right? Borders was still a store then, sometimes Starbucks. We'd get a couple drinks, a couple coffee drinks. We'd sit down with a board game. We lovingly referred to these as the state of the rotin meetings, where anything was on the table. Any question could be asked, any topic could be brought up, and we sat there. And I care way more about what you think of me probably than I should. So I'm not going to lose my mind in the middle of Starbucks, right? And I'm not going to say or do anything that's going to make my wife lose her mind in the middle of Starbucks. So oftentimes statements were made or questions were asked and there were long periods of silence where I focused really hard on the board game in front of us. But I'll tell you what the state of Roten meetings taught us. They taught us how to honestly express what we were feeling. They taught us how to listen to the other person's point of view. They taught me how to not react, but to respond in a way that the other person could hear the response. They taught us how to forgive. Now, when we started, we had stay-of-the-road meetings every month. 
It was not the date night either one of us looked forward to. Yay, let's go have a state of road meeting. It'll be great. Wonder what she's going to ask this time. Wonder what he's going to ask this time. We still have these. They're different now. We're not really knock down, drag out fighters anymore. They've now shifted into what are our goals? What do we want for our kids? What do we see going on in their lives? We still do it in public, just in case. Chase said anytime he sees me at Starbucks now, he's going to come ask how to stay the road meeting us. <laughs> Where are you creating space for that conversation for you and your spouse? As we close today, I want to ask you three questions. I don't want you to think about these, though, like we often say. I want you to go and to talk to your spouse about them. Because it is my assumption that we all think we know how to communicate. We think we do. Would our spouse say the same thing? So I want you to ask your spouse these questions this week, or your significant other. Do I need to get quicker at listening or forgiving, or slower at speaking and becoming angry? We all have a weak point, right? Can we ask our spouse? Now, spouses, this is not your time to drive the knife deeper and twist it. This is our chance to say, hey, this is where I think we need to work. Question two, are you exhibiting any of Gottman's four horsemen? And if so, what's causing that response? And lastly, question number three, I asked you just a minute ago, where are you creating space in our lives for deep conversations where we can truly listen and build each other up. And if we don't have one, how will we make time for it? Because I believe we will make time for the things that matter. So how can we make time for this? As we close in prayer, there's gonna be some resources that are up on the screen. Feel free to write those down. They'll be up there for a while but would you join me in prayer? God, you offer us forgiveness we don't deserve. Love we don't deserve. God, we're thankful that no matter what we do, you are quick to listen. You, God, even though you have the right to become angry with us, are slow to anger and you're quick to forgive. God, remind us of that as we seek to love our spouse, as we seek to love our friends, our fiancés. God, we're sorry for the times we fall short. And God, for those who are in the room today, whose marriage has already ended. God, I pray that as we walk through this series, they find peace and comfort. Hope for something better in the future. And I pray that they're reminded of the God who loves them no matter what. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.